Amen, friends. Let's, let's go. We are beginning a new series this morning on politics. Yeah, party on. It's going to be a great, great few weeks for us here at Flourishing Grace. I hope you guys got your tomatoes ready, um, and you can just start throwing them whenever you want. For those of you who are watching online, this will be the easiest sermon you ever walked out of in your entire life. I won't even know. I won't know. It's amazing. Let's just get the awkwardness uh, over with right out of the gate. Raise your hand if you're a Democrat. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. You don't have to do that at all. It's a joke. There's going to be lots of them. Is it hot in here or is it just me? Um, I'm kidding. Here's, here's the reality. Here's the re- reality. There's, there's just a few things that you don't talk about at church, and I'm pretty sure politics is uh, near the top of that list. Um, and so why would we do this? Why would we, why would we wade into such a divisive topic? Why would we, why, Josh, what is wrong with you, man? Why are you doing this? Let me first say this. My hope is not to talk so much about politics. You're not going to hear me talk a lot um, about uh, politics. Um, you're not going to hear my opinions on politics um, you're welcome for that. Uh, you're not going to hear uh, me, me talk a lot about what I think. Um, in fact, you're not going to hear me talking at all about what I think. And in no way, shape, or form is my goal to influence who you vote for in any way. In fact, I will say this, and some of you will probably disagree with me, disagree with me on this. Probably everything that leaves my mouth you're probably going to disagree with me on. Uh, somebody in the room is. I don't care who you vote for. I really don't. I really don't. The goal of this series is to get you to love Jesus more than the person you vote for. To love the church more than your political party. That's my goal. And that's really all I care about. That's what I want. That's what I want to see happen here at Flourishing Grace over the next four weeks as we unpack this together. That's my hope. How do we live faithfully to Christ in such a heated political moment? That's what I want us to wrestle through. Why are we doing this? Well, let me give you two things. And number one, I'll go quickly. And number two is what I really want to talk about for the rest of our time. Number one is this. First, um, Jesus constantly talked about politics. In fact, the number one thing that Jesus talked about more than he talked about anything else, politics. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God. He, he He was a political and religious leader in his day. The place where Jesus went to deliver the Sermon on the Mount was a place where political and religious leaders would go to kind of lay their agendas before their parties. Jesus was not partisan, but he was absolutely playing a role, and he was seen by the Jews in first century Israel as a political figure and a political leader. There is no question on that. And so for us to to wade into this topic is just to continue to do something that we have been taught to do uh, for 2,000 years by Christ. This should not be foreign for us. But it is. It is. The second reason why I think we need to wade into this topic is because today in America, more people leave the church over politics than any other issue. Than any other issue. More people leave the church for politics because more than, more than gender roles, more than same-sex marriage, more than... Uh, Pretty much anything else, people leave the church over this issue. Some of you might say, Josh, that sounds like a reason not to preach on politics. Um, And I'm aware of that. Several uh, pastoral friends of mine and even some of our lead shepherds here at Flourishing Grace have looked me in the eye and said, Josh, are you you ready for this? Not like, 
is your sermon done? But like, are you ready? Like, are you ready for what's going to happen uh, when, you, when you do this? Like, are you ready for people to walk out? Are you ready for people to, to leave Flourishing Grace and never come back? Are you ready for your friends to turn on you and to be angry with you? Um, because you, you, can't, you can't win. And that, that is the reality. I, I know that that's true. I know I can't win. I have, I have, I have zero desire to win. I, I, I can't win. The reality is that, that those things will happen. They're going to happen. Like no matter what I say. At the end of this, some of you are going to be like, Josh is such a, such a flaming liberal. And then some of you are going to be like, he is so uptight and so conservative. What am I going to do? Oh, I, can't, I can't stand that guy. I can't win, but I don't care. I really don't care. I'm like Ricky Gervais at the Oscars. I don't care. It's 2020. What else are you going to do? What are you going to take from me? I don't care. Listen, all I want, all I want is for you to love Jesus more. That's what I want. And I want you to love politics less. I don't want you to disengage. That's not the goal. In fact, I'll tell you later, I want you to wade into it. You should absolutely wade into it for the, for the sake of the gospel. But if you walk out of here hating me, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. I want you to love Jesus more. If you, if you hate me but you love Jesus more, I've won. I've won. There are several clear themes throughout Paul's letters to the church. There's a number of them. You can draw on a number of these that you'll see again and again and again as Paul writes to the, to the church uh, in all of these different cities and these different places. You'll see Paul writing, um, you'll see common themes through all of Paul's letters. And, and one of them, a massive one, is this call to unity. And that's what I want to talk about today, right? If, if politics is going to divide the church, let's talk about what unites the church. Let's talk about this call to unity. And in every single letter of Paul that Paul writes to the church, every single one, he calls the church to unity. There is a, there's a call on your life and mine. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and I know not everybody in the room is. I know not everybody watching online is. But if you would say, I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have surrendered my life totally, completely, fully to Jesus. One of the absolute biblical calls in your life is a call to unity. Unity within this room. Unity within, with the men and women in this room, including myself, to be united together in. I just want to show you in every single letter of Paul. And so we'll start in the beginning. Uh, the first letter that we have in, in order of the Bible that Paul writes to a church is the church in Rome. And in Romans 15, 5, verses, 15 verses 5 and 6, Paul writes this. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement, I love that by the way, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, in harmony, this kind of perfect balance, in harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. After Romans comes, okay, 1 Corinthians, okay, we'll, we'll do a Bible study quiz later. 1 Corinthians 1.10, 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the, name of, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, that you all agree, there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and judgment. So the things that you think about, the judgments you make, that there would be unity there. 
she would be she would agree and that there would be no divisions among you. After 1 Corinthians comes, hey, we got that one. That one's easy. All right, finally then, brothers, this is 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live peaceably, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Agree with one another. Agree with one another. Live peaceably with one another. After 2 Corinthians comes Galatians, Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male, no female, for you are all, what's the word? One. You're one in Christ. Christ has broken down the hostility wall. There's nothing that stands between any of us in this room. We are all to be one in Christ. To live in perfect harmony and peace together. After Galatians comes Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy to, which, to the calling to which you have been called. We love that verse. We love to memorize it. We love to, we love to quote it. How do we do that? How do we, how do we walk in a manner to which we've been called, worthy to which we've been called? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. That's how you do that. You want to walk in a manner worthy to which you've been called? You walk in unity, the spirit of unity. After Ephesians comes Philippians, Philippians 2, 1 through 2. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Unity, full accord, harmony, one mind. After Philippians comes Colossians, Colossians 3, 14 to 15. Some of you had the 14 read your wedding. It reads this way. We all know it. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What's the goal? Is the goal love? No. Love is the means to the ends. The ends is perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. We could be here all day. We could be here all day. In every letter that Paul writes to the church, he calls the church to live in unity, harmony, oneness. To live peaceably, to agree, to have one mind, to have the same judgment. This is what Paul has called us to. This is what God has called us to by the power and his, of the authority of his word to live peaceably together. Now let me ask you a question. Does this describe the church in America? By the chuckling, I'm going to guess that means no. No, it does not. No, it does not. And so let's, let's begin with some common ground, if we can. Can we agree on this? That the word of God calls the church to be in unity, to be of one accord, to have the same mind. In Christ Jesus. And that we are not doing a good job of this. Can we agree on that? 
that the church is, to, is called to unity by the, by the authority of the word of God. The church is called to unity. And in America, we're, just, we're not doing a very good job of that. Let's just begin there. Let's begin there. And this is my call for us today. Unity is what I want to talk to us about. If you're going to talk about unity, you must talk about politics. Politics is the number one thing dividing our nation right now. That, that is good luck arguing against that. But more importantly, it's the number one thing dividing our church. It is the number one reason people are leaving the church. It's the number one thing dividing the church in America. Politics is fracturing the American church. And I believe that if you could look behind the curtain, if you could get, if you could get inside of the mind of Satan, you would see a strategy to get more American politics into the church. Satan's goal, no question, no doubt, is to dis to create a division in the church, to break the unity of the church, to get you to not like you, and to get you to not like me, and to get me to not like you, right? And to get you to not like you. That's Satan's goal. If he can, if he can fracture the bride of Christ, this thing that is so precious to God, that has been created by the blood of the Lamb, that is his goal. That's what he wants to do. And he knows that if he can get American politics into the church, he wins. He wins because American politics fractures the church. And so we have more common ground. We know that God calls us by the authority of his word to unity. We know that the American church is not doing good at this. We know that Satan wants to break us of unity. He wants to create division among us, which means he's winning. He's winning. And if the number one thing that is creating disunity within the church right now is politics, who do you think is behind that? He is. Satan is absolutely behind this. He's absolutely at work in this. And he knows that politics fractures the church. How? How does politics fracture the church? Here's what I want to do for a moment. I, I want us to kind of peel back the lid and begin to look inside. And say, what is actually going on in here? What is actually going on in the church in America? And why, why are we so divided over this? And everything I'm about to talk about for the next like five, ten minutes comes from a guy named Tim Keller. Um, Tim, Tim Keller is a brilliant pastor. He's, he's actually retired from his church. He, was, he planted a Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. If you don't know Tim Keller, you're missing out. You need to go out and buy uh, some of his books, listen to some of his teachings. Brilliant, brilliant man. Unbelievable theologian. Unbelievable kind of st studier of culture. Just, I mean, if you, can, if you can plant a church and have it grow and thrive and become the church in New York City... You know a little bit about culture. And, and this, so everything I'm about to say comes from Tim. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm, I'm smart because I'm not. I'm an idiot, but I'm smart enough to recognize smart, okay? Um, and here's, here's what Tim says, okay? There are, within Scripture, there are a number of things that we can look at and we can say, okay, if I'm a follower of Jesus and I've fully surrendered my life to the call of Christ on me, there are many things in Scripture that, that say, the Scripture says, should be true of me. My life should look like this. And if it doesn't, I need to ask myself, am I really a follower of Jesus? What, what, am, I, what am I loving more than I'm loving Christ? Okay? Uh, unity is one of those things. We just, we just covered one of those topics. There are a lot of them. I'm going to give you four. I'm going to give you four. And this, again, these come from Tim. Um, these, they come from the Bible is where they come from. But this is not my original idea. 
one of these things, clear theme throughout Scripture, that God's heart beats for, and he's called us to be passionate about, is racial injustice. There's no doubt, there is no question, if you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, God is passionate about the nations. He is passionate about every tribe and every tongue. He is passionate about every person who has ever been born of every color skin. He is passionate about racial injustice. The fact that there is racism in the world grieves the heart of God. And if you try to argue against that using the Bible, you will lose all day long. God is passionate about racial injustice. And he has called the church his bride is new people to be passionate about racial injustice too. The things that are near to God's heart should be near to our heart. Number two, God is absolutely passionate about the poor and the marginalized. And the follower of Jesus should be fiercely fighting for the poor and the marginalized. And if you try to argue from the Bible that the the follower of Jesus doesn't need to care about the poor and the marginalized, you will lose all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount who is Jesus talking? I mean, the, the kingdom of God exists for the poor and the marginalized. You, you cannot, you cannot argue otherwise from the Bible. The church, the church is called to wade into the brokenness of this world, to seek, to feed the poor, to lend a hand to the marginalized, to the outcast, to the immigrants, to those who are broken and beaten. We are to love them, to draw near to them. Our heart should beat for that as a follower of Jesus. Number three, the follower of Jesus should absolutely, fiercely be passionate about the unborn, the sanctity of human life. There is no doubt from Scripture that all life is breathed out by God. He has knitted you together in your mother's womb from the moment of conception, Psalm 139. God has formed you, and he knows you, and he is passionate about you. Before you, before you took your first breath, he was breathing into you. How much should the church care about that? How much should we care about that? There's no question If you want to argue from Scripture against that, good luck. You will lose. Number four, there is no doubt, there is no doubt that the church should be passionate about God's plan and design and covenant of marriage. No question. There's no question. You can't argue it from Scripture. You can argue it all day long. But when it comes to the Christian, I'm not talking about the rest of the world. Hear me. I'm not talking about the rest of the world. When it comes to the Christian, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't care about God's plan for marriage, that, that, those two things don't work, okay? So I just give you four things from Scripture that every follower of Jesus should be passionate about. Now, here's the reality. Two of those things sound very liberal. And when I said them, all of the liberal people in the room were like, yes. And all of the conservative people in the room were squirming a little bit. And two of those things sound very conservative, And when I said them, the conservative people in the room were like, yes. And the liberal people in the room were squirming a little bit. A little bit. This is the problem. You see, the reality is, is that these four things are never, never 
never combined in any political party, in any social institution. They do not exist except for one place, biblical Christianity. That's it. The only place in our nation where you'll find those four things combined together is biblical Christianity. You will not find them in a political party. You will not find them uh, in a social institution. You won't find them put together. And so there's immense pressure on the church in America to lift up two of those things and remain silent on the other two. And so if you go to a liberal city, I'm from Chicago, you'll find plenty of churches who lift up the first two and never talk about the second two. They might believe them, but they're not going to say anything about it. They will not say anything about those two. And if that pastor does say something about them, he better dust off his resume because he's not going to last long. Now you, you take that same pastor and you move him to rural Mississippi. He's going to lift up the other two and he will never mention the other two. He might believe it. He might agree with you. He might shake his head and say, yeah, that's true. That's in the Bible. But he's never going to talk about it. And if he does, he's going to lose his congregation or he's going to lose his job. This is what's going on in America right now. There's an immense pressure to remain silent on two of the four things. And so what we have is this. You have four core doctrines of biblical Christianity, and they cannot equally exist in an American church without ripping it apart. It destroys the unity of the church. So the church can't be united while being faithful to the Bible anywhere in America. Let, let me just say that again. The church cannot be united while being faithful to the Bible anywhere in America. It does not exist. Now you might say, well, my little church is, is united. Like we're, 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 we're united, but, but you're not faithful to the whole scripture. And you're not united with the church because no way are we associating with those crazy liberals down the street. No way are we hanging out with that conservative church down the street. No way! They're crazy. The church is not united. It's not faithful to the word of God. It's a major problem. And so what have we done? What have we done? We have sacrificed the unity and the doctrines in order to fit in. We've said, forget it. Who cares about unity? Who cares about the word of God? We need to fit into our culture. Why? Who created this mess? Where does this come from? Obama, of course. Um, just kidding, it was Trump, you know that. It's a joke, it's a joke. I'm just trying to break the tension in the room. It's hot in here, it's hot in here. Here's the reality. American politics has taught us that there must be a red church and there must be a blue church. There's massive pressure from two political parties that say you cannot, you cannot have both. You can't have reds and blues in your church. You must be a Democrat or you must be a Republican. You cannot be a Christian. You must be a Democrat or you must be a Republican. You cannot be a Christian. This has divided the church and it has driven good hearted Christians away from faithful allegiance to Christ alone. Good hearted Christians. There are good hearted people in this room who have been driven away from the integrity of a full submission and a full upholding of the full counsel of the word of God 
because of the pressure that's been put on us by American politics. That is the simple truth. That's the truth. And I believe that this is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, things facing our nation and our church today. Now, some of you in the room, here's the reality. Uh, let's just pause for a minute. Let's just pause. Given all of that, given all of that, half of the room says to me right now, in your mind, you say, Josh, okay, I agree with you. I hear what you're saying. I, I agree that, that there is an issue of unity in our nation. I agree that Satan is at work in politics. He's trying to bring it into the church. I agree that there are topics of scripture that uh, certain churches preach and certain churches don't and that politics is involved in that. I agree with all of that, Josh. I agree that this has to change. But Josh, don't you, don't you know what will happen? Like if we start to fight for, for racial injustice in our churches, don't you realize what's going to happen to the culture at large? Don't you realize that Black Lives Matter and their agenda is going to take over? And they're going to rewrite the history of the United States? Don't you, don't you know what that's what's going to happen, Josh? And what's going to happen then? Don't you understand? You cannot pacify the mob, Josh. You can't. You will give and you will give and you will give. You will bow and you will bow and you will bow. And they'll always come back for more. And don't you realize if we care about the poor and the marginalized and the immigrants, what do you want to do, Josh? What's your solution? You're just going to fling open our borders and let the immigrants come in? Don't you know, Josh? Don't you know what's going to happen to our economy? Don't you know what's going to happen when they come in with their drugs and their cartels and their guns? Don't you know what's going to happen to our society when you do that? I agree with you, Josh, but you don't understand. You're short-sighted. And the other half of the room says, Josh, I hear what you're saying. And I, I agree with you, actually. I, I agree. There's disunity within the church. And there's... There's problems going on in our culture, and for sure that's influencing the church, and we got to do something about this. But Josh, who do you think you are to tell somebody who they can love and can't love? Like, what right do you think you have? Like, you think you can take that ancient doctrine and stick it on people? It, like, this is 2020. <laughs> that's not a good argument anymore. Um, it's the worst. Uh, listen. What do you think you are? And how dare you? How dare any? You're just another privileged middle-class white man trying to tell women what they can and cannot do with their bodies. What is the matter with you? I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you, but, but no. And in 15 minutes or less, I've drawn the ire of the entire room. And it was easy. It's too easy. I can get people who say that they love Jesus more than they love anything in the world to begin to sweat and get angry with me. And you know what's fascinating about all this? Not one of those things, not one of those things, one of those things I just said is something that you came up with. Not one. You didn't create any of those. We have been given talking points. And you know them. You're ready. You're, you're, you've got them. You're ready to go. Like, come on, let me, let me just lay it all out for you, Josh. Let me tell you why that doesn't work. You're locked and loaded. It's been fed to you. 
been indoctrinated, not by the word of God, but by, polit by political parties. Not one of those things that I just said will be found in the word of God, but you'll bang that drum. That's where we are. That's where we are. That's where we are as a nation, and that's where we are as a church. You've been conditioned. You've been given talking points, and you're ready to go. You didn't come up with them. They were given to you, not by the Bible, not by your true king, but by your party. And it is evidence that you have pledged allegiance to a party, not to the kingdom of God. And I want you to be awakened to that today. The thing that is creating disunity within the church is in you. You cannot point to the other side and say, no, 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 no that's them. That's that people. That's them people. That's, those, that's, that, that's that group. It's not me. I don't, I don't care about politics. The thing that's creating disunity in the church, it's in you. There's a podcast that I've been listening to that I think is absolutely brilliant. It's not popular. Um, it's, a, it's a pastor in Kentucky. His name is Robert Cunningham. And in the name of his podcast um, is Every Square Inch. Every Square Inch. In the past five episodes, I want to encourage you to actually go and listen to them. You can listen to them all if you want. Um, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I've gotten a lot from it. And one of the things that Robert Cunningham said in his podcast is this. He said, the kingdom of God will draw the ire of both Democrats and Republicans. If we are to truly, if we are truly faithful to Jesus, we will become politically homeless in this world and maligned by both the left and the right. When he, when he said that, I thought, golly, that is it. There is no home for us. There is no home for us. Except this one. Church. That's our home. The Republican Party is not our home. The Democratic Party is not our home. Heaven is our home. Christ is our king. And we must stop. If you want to be faithful to the word of God, the one who gave his life for you, who has ushered you out of spiritual darkness and brought you into the kingdom of his marvelous light, you must seek the unity that he has called you to in this room. In this room. And the only way is to become politically homeless. If you are not willing to sacrifice your party, you will never be homeless. And you'll never fit in in this room. I'm not calling you to renounce America. Don't mishear me on that. We'll talk more about that next week. But I am calling you to renounce American politics. I'm not calling you to not vote. It's not it. I'm calling you to love Jesus more than the person you vote for and to submit yourself to Jesus, not a political party. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture, uh, in John 17, this is Jesus' what's known as his high priestly prayer. Um, when, right before Jesus goes to the cross, the night that he's betrayed, um, Jesus knows what's coming. You've got to put yourself in the room. You've got you to put yourself in the room where it happened, to quote Hamilton. Uh, You've got to put yourself in the room. 
And, and, and Jesus is, is in this place where he knows. He knows what awaits him. He knows the brutality and the torture and the pain and the agony. But he also knows that these people who, he, who are his dear friends, his dear friends, he is going to be ripped away from them. They are going to watch him suffer and watch him die. It is going to be the worst moment of not only his life, but their life. And more than that, he will no longer be physically present with them. He can't protect them in the way that he has been protecting them for the past three years. And it pains him. This gives him more pain than anything else. You see it in this prayer. Here's what he prays, John 17, verse 13 through 21. I'm just going to read part of it. Go read the whole thing later. Here's what he says. But now I'm coming to you, Father, Father, but now I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's what I want. I want them to know the joy that I have. I want to be fulfilled in them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. If you want to come after Jesus, the world will hate you. That should not be a surprise to us. Jesus talks about it again and again and again and again. If you want to follow after him, Republicans will hate you. If you want to follow after him, Democrats will hate you. You want to fall after him, moderates will hate you. No, moderates don't hate anybody. Um, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I I don't want you to take them out of the world. I I don't want you to remove them from politics. I I don't want you to remove them from from the public square. I I don't want want you to remove them from being involved in their community, in their city, in their nation. I I don't want you to remove them from government. I want you to keep them from the evil one. I want you to to keep all of that from coming in here. And maybe more importantly, from coming into here. That's what I want. Keep them from the evil one. Satan's going to try to bring that into our church. He's going to try to bring it into our heart. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Not the democratic agenda. Not the Republican agenda. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe through their word. That's you and me. Not just for his disciples, but for those who will come later, who will believe through the work of his disciples. That's you and me. That they may all be one. That's what I want, Father. I know I'm going to the cross. I know this doesn't go well for me for the next 24 hours of my life. I know, I know it's going to be horrible. But I'm not praying that you would remove the pain. I'm not praying that you would remove the, the suffering or the agony No, I consecrate myself for them. I'm giving myself up for them. I pray that they would become one. That they would be united. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
Friends, Christ died so that we would be united in him. So that every issue and agenda ever argued on the floor of Congress would become dust beneath his name. He died for you. He is your king. He is your Lord. The halls of Congress are meaningless before him. Meaningless. He is your true king, your only king. So turn off the news and open your Bible. Suck it up and take the beating from the right and from the left. And with every blow you receive, remember the blows of our Savior received on the cross. Remember that his kingdom is more beautiful than any political ideal. Remember that he died for us to be one in him. And that anything that threatens that is an offense to the gospel. And today we can all agree, American politics is doing just that. It's doing just that. It's an offense to the gospel. It's an offense to the church. It's a tool of Satan. You need to be awakened to that. It is breaking down the very thing that Christ died to create and establish. It's breaking down his beloved bride. It's breaking down the church. It's breaking down your heart. And over the next few weeks, we're going to peel back some more layers on this. We're going to look at some different things that are kind of hot right now in, in our world and talk about, man, what does the kingdom of God say about those things? What does the kingdom of God say about those things? But for right now, all I want is you to remember that you cannot have two masters. Only the homeless, only the homeless are actually free to find their home in Christ. Let's pray that he would give us unity. Let's bow our heads. Here's what I'd like for us to do just for a minute this morning. move into a time of confession every one of us in this room including myself has allowed some political ideals some political agendas maybe for some of you it's a lot there are some deep deep hooks in your heart that have been placed there by political party when the topic's brought up around your dinner table your blood begins to boil that is evidence that is evidence that you are loving something more than you're loving Jesus you have friends who or part of a different party. They vote a different way. And you can never agree with them on a single thing. That is evidence that you have failed to uphold the full counsel of the Word of God. When you hear one person speak, you shake your head and you can't, you can't, you can't even stomach it. You can't, you can't even... Hold it together. There's evidence that you're loving things more than you're loving Jesus. 
Spirit, I pray that you would rid our lives of these hooks, this sin that is dwelling within us, that we would see it, we'd call it out, and that we'd kill it. We would turn off the news and turn off social media, and we'd open our Bibles, that we'd submit ourselves fully to your word, completely to your word, that we would be Christians, not Republicans, Christians, not Democrats, followers of Jesus. That would be what marks us and defines us. When people ask me, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I look them in the eye and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. He is my king, my only king, and I always will be for all eternity. I pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.